0: Welcome one and welcome all to the first ever mailbag episode of Chill'em with Kofi. We've had five great interviews so far leading up to this episode. And uh, last week I wanted to take a step back, decompress, uh, rest and relax and all of that. But this week I wanted to answer some listener questions. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, engaging and sharing the podcast. It really means the world to me. Um, This is really a passion project for me. And it's cool to see so much support. I've really appreciated it. So today I'm going to read a lot of questions and try to answer them. I don't know how long this podcast will be, but I will try to get to every question that I can answer in full. So without further ado, here we go. So our first question is from ASD Castel de Sangro. And the question is, what's been the biggest challenge in starting a podcast? Well, for me, I think the biggest challenge was... Just overall getting the confidence to start one. Um, I've wanted to do a podcast for about two to three years now, and I've never really had the bandwidth or the real confidence to start a podcast. I feel like I'm at the place in my career now where I can get these dope interviews and all these cool people to come onto the podcast. But it's still also... It is a little bit nerve wracking to ask people to come onto the show because again, that's taking time out of their busy schedule to talk to you for an hour about who knows what. But again, when I was in college and when I was in high school, I was always afraid of how people would receive my content, whether they would like it or dislike it. I remember back when the YouTube bar, the YouTube like to dislike bar was green and red. I was so scared of making content and the YouTube bar just being all red. It took a little bit of time to get over that and not being afraid of the dislike bar and just making content that I like and appreciate. Also, now I've had a lot of video editing and audio editing experience, but now that I have a podcast, I'm getting better at audio editing and adding certain effects. And so I've learned so much already from the podcast that I've been able to put into my regular job. Um, I've learned so much about Noise gates and hard limiters and just other audio effects that make my voice sound a little bit better than it is. Yeah, I really don't think about this podcast about, I really don't think about this podcast as being like a, oh, let's blow this podcast up. Let's make it big. No, I just really want to have cool conversations and learn about some of the awesome people that I follow and interact with on Twitter day in and day out. And I do want to just learn about a bunch of other topics. I really don't have that much time to like read books and sit down. But I do read a lot of articles and stuff, but it is cool to have a lot of people that I have kind of grown up with just seeing them excel in their space and then having them come and talk to me about it. That's really the best part of having this podcast. And it's just like I get to do whatever I want on here. You know what I'm saying? I can ask the questions. We can lead the discussion And I think it's really been insightful. And I feel like the thing about this podcast is that no two episodes are ever going to really be the same because I aim to have a different guest every week. Now, we're going to have some repeat guests, but I feel like even then those podcasts will be different. But I do think the main part about starting a podcast is actually just starting the podcast, getting the RSS hosting feeds ready, picking the right software to edit and record. And who knows what? I used to have a podcast with my old roommate in D.C. His name is Jesse, and we used to do a couple of podcasts like every two weeks or so. The thing about that is that our work schedules were so opposite that we rarely did have time to sit down and actually do the podcast consistently. And I think that the hardest thing about doing a podcast, another hard part about doing a podcast is being consistent in terms of like having a release every week or whatnot. Some podcasts do release on a consistent schedule and some don't. And I really want to be on the side that does a consistent schedule so that you guys can like put that into your routine as well. I want this to be an experience for you guys so that where every Monday when you guys are going to work or doing who knows what, working out in the gym or going on the subway or something in the near future, that you would put my podcast on and have fun, laugh and learn something too. So yeah, I think that answers the question. The biggest challenge in starting a content in in general is just starting it. Content creation takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to just build your brand over time. And the more time you spend not making content, the later and later on you start your content making journey, right? It's basically like climbing a mountain, man. It's like If you stand at the bottom, just looking up at the mountain for a long time, you're never really going to make any progress, or you're never going to know if you make progress. You might climb a little bit and then fall off the mountain and then get back up a little bit and make some more progress, but you're never going to really know that if you just stand at the bottom of the mountain and just look up for the entire time. I guess that's my advice. Just I know that content creating is a very vast scape but you're never going to know how you do or how well you're going to do unless you just do it, honestly. The next question comes from at Fallout FPS on Twitter. Given the field you work in, I'd imagine there were a good few times where you looked at what you were doing and said, I don't know if I can make it. If there were times like that, how did you build yourself up to keep pushing and get where you are today? First off, Fallout, excellent question. And I I don't think that goes away. That thought process doesn't go away for me. I always think about that because even though I have a, yeah, I have a great job and I've been doing pretty well for myself. There's always that thought process of what if everything goes left? What if I don't get to live out all my goals? What if I work hard enough, but it's still not enough? I always think about that. And I've had that kind of thought process ever since that, ever since like seventh grade, honestly, when I decided I wanted to work in sports. And a big reason why is that just the statistics of the industry aren't, in your favor usually. When I wanted to be a baseball play-by-play person, as soon as I got to college, I realized that the odds were against me. Like I'd have to be like the best of the best and not only that, I'd have to probably get lucky in networking. Not like lucky lucky, but I'd have to network my ass off. And to where I've been today, I've had to network my ass off as well. Fortunately for me, I've had such a good support system and such a good friend system in the industry and out. My parents have been very supportive. So, whenever I feel even like slightest bit discouraged, I look at all the successes that my friends are achieving in the industry as well. And that keeps me going and it keeps me going, not only on a friendship basis, but also as a friendly rivalry basis. Like I look around and see all my friends and I'm always happy for them when they have a new opportunity and stuff like that. But it also keeps me motivated to keep pushing because I want to be at the top when we all reach the top. So seeing that all around me, seeing the good support system that I've had and witnessing all of the victories that me and my friends have had in the industry has just been enough to motivate me to keep me going. Because at the end of the day, I wanna see everybody win. I'm glad when my coworkers and friends get the raise that they really deserve. I'm glad when they get that new job offer And they get that promotion like I'm glad to see my friends winning and it keeps me more motivated. And it always gives me hope as to you can make it in this industry. You can improve. You can move up in the ranks. So, yeah, that friend group, positive outlook and the support system I have really keep me going. So basically for anyone, I guess, is to find the support system no matter where it could be, it could be parents, it could be friends, it could be just Facebook groups, Discord servers, whatever. And honestly, just being around motivated people will take you so far, honestly. Because motivation is kind of contagious. And so is laziness. I have those motivated days and I have, I have those lazy days too, man. It, it's a fight. It's a constant fight. You can have a big routine, you can do everything right, and then you could have that one lazy day and then it just derails the entire thing, right? It's why I'm so bad at working out, you know? <laughs> I'm so bad at working out, man. I'd be trying. I have the dumbbells in my apartment, too, and I just look at them sometimes and I'm like, you know what? We'll save that for another day and another day never comes. I need to get right on that. Anyway, like I was saying, the best that you can do is to just try constantly And just learn from your mistakes, get advice from other people, try to ask people for advice and also network. But keep in mind that the person that you're reaching out to or cold emailing, they don't owe you anything. I remember when I was a freshman in college and I would hand my business card out to the people that spoke at the University of Maryland and sometimes I'd email them and I wouldn't get an email back. And naive little me was always being like, oh, they're just not emailing me back. How they said that they would try to get to everybody or whatever. Why are they not emailing? But then it took a couple of just months to realize, like, look, these people are super busy. And for me, that mindset changed from why aren't they emailing me back to, oh, man, this person has a lot on their plate. They have a full time job and whatnot. So, of course, work comes first. So then I started to become more and more grateful for the people that did have time and did take the time out of their busy schedules to just reply to me. Because I understand now because I get those emails and sometimes I feel very overwhelmed to respond to everybody. I know that there are some people that have reached out to me and we've set up phone calls that's been the easiest thing for me, setting up phone calls so they can ask me questions and talk because I hate sending emails. I try to be as available as possible, but I also understand that I can't get to everybody. And that's not something that I, I truly understood until my second semester of my freshman year. So, again, not everybody that you reach out to will get back to you. But keep in mind, that's not a personal attack on you. That's just because they're so busy that they actually can't get back to you. Just take it in stride. We got at Pete underscore Volk. Next question. What's up, Pete? You are suddenly in charge of EA Sports or 2K Sports if you prefer. What are your week one priorities? For this question, I'm going to choose 2K Sports and I'm going to fix NBA 2K. NBA 2K is a very frustrating experience because it kind of strong arms you into buying more microtransactions by the fact that you actually get an advantage if you pay more money. There are a lot of video games where you can pay the extra microtransactions, but it doesn't affect the actual gameplay. Like, for example, Overwatch, you can buy a lot of cosmetic microtransactions. And these won't make you better at the game, but they'll make you look cooler. And the thing is, is that in Overwatch, you can still buy those microtransactions, but it doesn't affect the skill gap. No matter how many skins or golden guns you buy, everyone in Overwatch is still on an even playing field and you can have the same character and the difference is by the actual skill of the player. In 2K, the microtransactions affect the skill gap to a point where two people of the same skill, one of them will have the advantage because they paid $40. And that's pretty messed up. So the main thing I would fix in 2K is I would have overall based my part courts. Now, I would still keep the non overall based my part courts as well. If anyone with a 70 overall wants to challenge themselves with a 90 plus overalls, whatever. However, I would also add my part courts that would say, okay, 75 overall and below can play here. 85 and below can play here. 90 and below can play here. That way, if I'm someone that doesn't want to spend money on, spend more money on the game, I could be a 65 overall and then play on a park with other 65 overalls. And yeah, would we suck? Sure. But at least I would feel like I would have a fair shot at winning if the players were the same overall. It's really, really hard to be on My Career and be a My Player at 65 overall and be in this wild, wild west of all of these other players that are like 86 overalls immediately after paying $40. And I wouldn't have a problem with this if 2K wasn't already a $60 game. That's the main issue. How many other video games, if you pay, add up to $100 off RIP? I, I personally cannot name. Many. Sure, Call of Duty is $60 and tries to destroy my computer every time I install it. But after I pay that $60, everything else is optional. Like, I don't have to feel the need to pay for this almighty gun that just destroys everyone in the game. But in 2K, the peer pressure to buy so much more virtual currency is so high. And for me, at least, it makes buying all this currency, it makes it not enjoyable. It makes it not enjoyable. I remember in 2K10, everybody's my player was like a 39 overall. You got sent to Summer League, and if you sucked, you went to the G League. But there was never a point where you could just buy all of this currency and become an 85 overall in the G League, and then immediately just rocket past all of the stuff. Like, 2K can still have that option in the game, but the 2K experience doesn't really reward the people that grind and don't pay money at all and the wild part is that 2k can have both of these things the people that grind and pay money and the people that grind and don't pay money however the people that grind and pay money get all the benefits while the people that grind and don't pay money are kind of ousted from the mode like if you play my career in my park and don't spend any money there be there will be many times where you don't feel like playing the my park. I took a two-year break from 2K after 2K18. I didn't play 2K19 and I didn't play 2K20 until we did that Fumble Dimension video on 2K20. And even then, I didn't touch my park at all. I took a two-year break because I was so sick of it. And I only went back to 2K21 because I have a PS5 and the PS5 currently has like three games out right now. So, hey. The next question is from Mogul666 on Twitter. Have you ever had a topic you wanted to cover but didn't think there was enough substance on it to make a video slash article? Yes, we get that all the time. I have always wanted to do something with battle rap. Battle rap has fascinated me ever since my sophomore year of high school. There are so many battle rap leagues there's URL, there was grind time, there's King of the Dot, there's Don't Flop, which is from the UK, and battle rap is such an interesting sport. It's a sport, too. I call I qualify as a sport because, honestly, it is the peak of competition. You got to think on your feet. You have to have a strategy. You have to have counters. You have to have all this preparation that you have to do. And it's just such an interesting sport. You know, like you can make, now you can make a lot of money off of battle rap, right? You could be a consistent, you can be a professional full-time battle rapper. And I've always wanted to do content on it, but I don't think that I would be the person that would do do it justice. You know, I'm not really ingrained in the battle rap scene of any kind. I know a couple of battle rappers like through Twitter, but I've never been able to go to an event. And there's just so much history in YouTube, like throughout the Internet. There's so much history and it's such a vast thing that I don't think I would know where to start. So battle rap would be the top, like the dream topic to cover, but I don't think that I am the person to actually uh, bring it to justice because there's so many things that I could potentially miss. So yeah, I've talked about doing battle rap content as well, but I just don't think that I am qualified. I don't think I have the qualifications for that big man. All right, our next question comes from Imran Ahmad. It is, what is your favorite project that I've worked on? My favorite project that I've worked on is not on Seeker Base's YouTube channel, honestly. It's my personal YouTube channel, and it's the History of High School Mixtapes documentary that I worked on. I take a lot of pride in that one because while I was working on that video and while I was making the entire documentary, I was still working at social media at SB Nation. So basically I was doing this documentary in my off hours because I felt like I was one of the few people that would be able to chronicle and document all of these mixtapes over the years because growing up in North Carolina, that's where a lot of these mixtapes kind of started. It started with John Wall and even before John Wall, but John Wall is kind of the one that like took it to the moon. And I had also worked at a couple of high school tournaments where I saw some of these highlights being played live. So I decided to just document and chronicle. I had a whole spreadsheet of all of the high school mixtape sites and YouTube channels that had started and gone defunct or started and have either um, pivoted to other waves of content. But I think it's just a fascinating thing because it's more about it's not just about high school mixtapes. It's about the change of internet culture and the change of the internet's relationship with sports highlights. And I think that that documentary kind of highlights the change in the relationship. And I think that a lot of these bigger sports companies have also followed suit in terms of copying a lot of these content strategies from Ball is Life, from Hoop Mixtape. From even an overtime or whatnot. So it's a very fascinating thing on the on one side for basketball highlights, but on the other side, for anybody that's been interested in sports media over the last 15 years, um, I think that I did a good job chronicling everything, noticing trends as well, and kind of summing up why mixtape culture isn't the same as it used to be. And I would definitely encourage you guys to go check out that documentary. It's on my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is just my name, K-O-F-I-E. But that is the thing I put my heart and soul into while that like, nobody asked for it either. Like I just decided to do it because I found that this was a topic that I was found fascinating, but no one else had really kind of put the time into diagnosing. So that's my favorite project that I've ever worked on. All right. The next question is from Eric Steven. Would you still like to eventually call baseball games? I would like to call a baseball game occasionally, but I wouldn't want to be a play by play commenter full time. I realized that I didn't have the battery level or battery life to be excited about baseball games all the time. My energy level kind of dropped significantly when I got to college in terms of being able to pay attention to a 2 to 3 hour baseball game and call it and not run out of things to say on broadcast cuz that's one of the hardest things about a baseball broadcast is filling dead air when action isn't happening like you can rattle off all of these stats, you can make observations about the field and the pitch and the fans, but they, for me I would be not good at uh filling in that dead air. Baseball is one of those sports where Nothing might happen for a long time, and I'm really not good at like accompanying stuff that's not interesting. I don't feel because I didn't, I think I'd have a, a cool color commentator. I'd be a color commentator, I guess. I wouldn't be a play by play person, if anything. But I have such tremendous respect for anyone working in the play by play industry. A lot of people take it for granted, and it, it's not easy. It's not easy to call games. It's not easy to prepare for games. Um, the hours. Are very interesting. People don't take into account the amount of preparation it takes before each game, uh the work ethic that it involves. It's you got you have to be the best of the best of the best, honestly. And it is one of the most dedicated and hardworking jobs that we have in the industry. And it often goes underappreciated. Like I don't feel like I'm worthy enough to call baseball games. Honestly, I don't think I'm worthy. Because I tried to call a doubleheader at the University of Maryland. And that was my like jumping off point of like, I don't I don't love this enough. You know, you got to love the sport of baseball a lot to do play by play. You got to love sports in general to do a lot of play by play stuff. And when I thought I loved sports until I got to college, when I got to when I got to the University of Maryland. I met people that could just rattle off stats like it was nothing. And I was like, you know what? I don't y'all got it. I don't think I like sports as much as y'all do. And I'm actually in a space now where since I work in video games more than actual sports, I don't I'm not really a big sports person anymore. When you work in sports, you can still enjoy and appreciate sports. But for some people, it might drain the love of sports out of you. It's it's a case-by-case basis, but for me, when I worked in social media for two years, covering sports all the time, it was sports, 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 that was my nine to five, or in some cases, my five to one. When I got off of work, I wouldn't want to watch sports. That's why I kind of made the shift over to watching esports, enjoying esports, finding something else competitive, but that wasn't something that I covered during work. And that's a that's kind of something that I like, like to tell people when they're interested in sports. I'm like, yo, if you love sports before working in sports, you might see your love decline when you work in sports or when you get into the industry. And that's perfectly normal. I mean, at the end of the day, working in sports is cool, but it's also still a job. I love when people say that, oh, you have you have the perfect job. Why are you complaining? You do this for a living. Ah, At the end of the day, it's still work, guys. It's still work. Just because the work looks cool and seems cool doesn't mean that it can't drain you physically, mentally and emotionally. People think that working in sports is like all perfect and nothing can go wrong because it's sports. But no, it's not all sunshine and happy days, man. You, you have some days when you go through it as well. And on the other hand, you don't really have to love sports to work in sports because at the end of the day, it is a job like working in sports. There's no requirement that you have to like sports. There's no requirement that you have to like sports. I work in sports right now. I wouldn't necessarily say that I like sports as much as I used to. Like I tolerate sports, but I'm not always trying to catch the new basketball game that's on or trying to do whatever like. At the end of the day, working in sports is still working, and I feel like not a lot of people understand that fact. I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent there, but again, it's my podcast, so... Yee, Thank you for the question, Eric. I appreciate you. All right, my next question is from Sammy Bovitz. What's the writing process like for you on a given episode of Fumble Dimension? How much of it is research and notes versus just establishing that narrative? Where does John come in, et cetera? And that's a good question. I think that we draw a lot of inspiration from science fair experiments and the scientific method and the scientific theory. Growing up with two scientists, I feel like each fumble dimension is basically just a science experiment. You have your hypothesis, you have your control, you have your dependent variable, you have your independent variable, you have your abstracts and whatnot. And I kind of treat my writing process like journal entries into what's happening. So usually whenever I'm capturing the footage, my script is basically the written notes of me capturing that footage real time. What I'm witnessing, what I'm observing, if there's anything important that needs to be in the script or if there's any mental note that I see, I'll write it down. Um... John is the same way in terms of he'll see the footage and he'll make his observations. He'll make those charts. He'll make those graphs. He'll look at whatnot. He'll look at the data and make analysis like it's a very scientific format. And the interesting thing about Fumble Dimension is that a lot of people have their own idea of what a Fumble Dimension video should be. And a lot of people send me emails like proposing ideas and like I mentioned on the foolish baseball episode I'm not going to do an idea that gets proposed to me because the moment that we do an episode that hinges on somebody else's proposal and observation that's the moment where the show kind of loses the magic for me Because I want these videos to be John and me experimenting and messing around. And also, I feel like a lot of our audience kind of has a different expectation or a different assumption of what a Fumble Dimension video should be like. And the thing about it is that the series can go anywhere. The hook is that we're doing science experiments with sports. Now, when you take that sentence at face value, you get it. But when you look at all the possibilities that we can go in terms of the video game spear and trying to break it, Fumble Dimension can go so many ways. There are so many different variants of the show and there isn't just a set thing in stone. No episode is going to be like the last. That's what I love about Fumble Dimension. However, we do realize that not everything is going to be what the audience expects it, but that's not going to stop us from making a video. Like, we're not going to scrap a science experiment if it doesn't come out the way that we thought. Right. We're going to keep it honest. Like, here's what we did. Here's what happened. Like, I'm sorry it didn't meet your expectation or your prediction was not right. But we're still going to do it in the reason of transparency and the reason of that's how a science experiment works. Sometimes the volcano doesn't explode. But that's also an important scientific discovery. Everything that we do is important in terms of the fact that, look, this may have not turned out in the way that we thought, but we're not going to just can the experiment, right? And I feel like that's something that not everything that we do is going to break a game, or not everything that we do is going to create these wacky scenarios. Sometimes nothing might happen. And I feel like, look, as long as the The idea was good at the start, and we support the idea and try our best with the idea. No matter what the result happens, I'm still satisfied with the episode because we tried. And the attempt is the more, the attempt and thoroughness of the episode and the discovery process is the most important thing to me. So, the writing process, usually, again, it's whenever I'm talking, that's something I wrote, whenever there's data viz. Whenever John's talking, that's something that he wrote and we usually put our stuff together and we have it like mesh in terms of video flow, in terms of video talking. And then we have those on camera bits to make jokes, make other observations that might need some visual elements or, you know, just add some more more, add more humanity to the video. So I think me and John work very well. John is a great boss. And he allows my creativity to thrive, which is always great. Um, I've never had a boss that hasn't allowed my creativity to thrive. And I feel like I'm extremely lucky in that sense, because I know that there are some media places where bosses well, might be like, don't do this, do this. Don't do it this way, do this. But I'm glad that I've been able to work at Espionation and ESPN Z Undefeated, where they've let my creativity run wild um so yeah the writing process is very it's very organic it's very there's there's a formula there's like a formula to it in terms of like intro here's what's happening outro but anything in between that we don't know where the show can go um when i made that horror story mariners hat thing that was just me being home with nothing else to do but like walk around the neighborhood and look at lakes so i decided to make like a scary movie and mesh it into the video i don't yeah i was just shooting shit at the wall then um but basically i like how the fumble dimension allows us to just try shit out and if shit doesn't work out we'll just scrap it the next video like this it's no hard feelings but it's a great um It's a great writing process and I love it. I love working on Fumble Dimension and working at Seeker Base. It's great. All right, the next question is from Mike D. Sykes. Should I trust EA to make a good college football game when Madden has sucked for years now? So if you've been living under a rock, EA Sports has announced that college football video games are coming back somehow in some way, shape or form. I don't think they're going to actually have uh, real players in the game. But if anyone that's played college football understands that like no one's really cared about that because after four years into a college football dynasty mode, none of the players are real. So we're gonna get into it. First of all, Madden is not a fun game, honestly. It's very broken. It's very very shit, man. It's very I don't know. It's it doesn't even it doesn't even seem fun to play. I got it for free and I uninstalled it like the same day. It's just the same old shit. But, however I do think that the college football game that I, I see some hope because I feel like the college football game has always had a different kind of aura and just a different kind of vibe than the Madden games, and I feel like there's so much more that you can do in a college football game. you can make the recruiting cool you can the the style of play is different. you can cater to that more. so I think that these College football games, that there is hope that building a dynasty is really cool and that you can just do a lot more fun stuff. Like you can run the option, you can create your own college, you can do God knows what. However, I do sometimes get scared when EA Sports has a football game and they're the only football game competition on the market. So we'll see. I really do hope that this game becomes good again. Because the groundwork is there. All they have to do is look at their older games. Because a lot of people are being like, oh, Ultimate Team is going to fucking ruin the college football game. But if you guys haven't noticed, Ultimate Team was in NCAA 14 as well. And it wasn't that destructive. But again, I'm on the fence. I'm very neutral here. Like, it's cool to see college football video games coming back again. However, I've... I've set the bar low for sports games because of 2K and Madden. So I'm not really as excited as what 14-year-old me would have been. So there's that. All right. The next question is from at Gambling Blues. What would you do differently in your football manager approach to try to break the game? Do you think that you accomplished what you wanted to in your first pass? I'm going to say that, yeah, we did. For two people that didn't really know much about the game that we were getting into, I think that that was a fun first video. And now that we know more about the game, we can make an even better second video if we ever go back to the franchise. Which, I mean, that's all up in the air. I think that's possible that we can do another Fumble Mentioned Football Manager video. And with that, we can take what we learned from the first one and then apply it to the second one. I don't really have any regrets making any fumble dimension that we've made because, again, we stick to the scientific method and we didn't scrap it. Now, my new knowledge, again, like any scientific test after the first test, you have your new knowledge so you can make a new experiment. I think that we will approach football manager differently in the next time. Um, But I am glad that we were able to work on certain formations because that's something I've always found fascinating. Is tactics and formations. And I think that it was still a fun video. Now, if you've played Football Manager for decades, like it might not be the video for you because you've probably seen it all. But you got to understand that in Fumble Dimension, not everybody that watches the show has played the game that we're covering as well. So there's kind of that kind of thing. And we weren't going to we weren't going to bullshit you. We were going to tell you, we told you that we didn't know much about this game or the sport in general. And we're always going to be upfront about that. We're never going to pretend that we know a sport that we don't know. If we do pretend that we know a sport that we don't know, we'll get called out about it. And then that will kind of also just taint the fumble dimension experiment that we're working on. So honesty and transparency is the best policy. and, This was the first game that John got fired from a game, so I think that we broke it a little bit. I think that there were some funny moments in there as well, because a lot of these sports career modes and video games aren't prepared for the game being played poorly, and that's what we like to test sometimes, because you know, a lot of these games where they have cutscenes and whatnot, they expect you to do well, or at least marginally average enough. But not a lot of these games are prepared for you to play poorly. And I think that Football Manager is one of the more structured and detailed games. And you guys notice that after every video, we kind of talk about we, and give a grand overview of how good or bad the game was. And I gave Football Manager its props. I gave Out of the Park Baseball its props. And of course, we can always go back to the game whenever. That's the beauty of video games. It's not like I bought Football Manager and now I don't own the game anymore. So, yeah, I think I accomplished what I wanted to do personally. I know it might not be up to a lot of Football Manager players' standards, but that's fine. I'm not aiming to appease to the professional players of the game and stuff. I aim to make a video that I find interesting. And if people find that interesting, that's fine. And if they don't, that's fine, too. It's science. All right, we got a few Discord questions from Socks. What's your go-to Subway order? My go-to Subway order is a sweet onion chicken teriyaki on wheat bread with cheese and bacon. Then you got the lettuce, tomato, green peppers, and then the sweet onion sauce. I don't go to Subway that often, though. Yeah, I'm not a big Subway fan, but if I have to eat Subway, that's what we're doing. I don't really get anything else. We got Hames Jardin. What's the absolute worst fast food restaurant in your opinion? I'm going to go with KFC. KFC is not elite fried chicken. And if you've, if you've grown up in anywhere but the South and KFC is the only reference you have towards fried chicken, then I'm so, so sorry. There are usually way better places around it. Don't waste your time there. The worst fast food experience that I had was at a Whataburger in the Dallas airport. or was one of those airports. Where I got my food for free because someone like yelled because someone yelled at me. So one time I was waiting for my food and I thought that I got my food and I put a straw wrapper in the order because I grabbed my order. I had headphones on, so I didn't know who was actually, I thought my number had been called. And then I hear yelling and there's just like this like 50 year old old man. He's like, this man just put his garbage in my food. And it was just, it keep mind, just a straw wrapper. And all the food's wrapped. So this guy, the cashier was like, yo, do you want the food for free? And he just like said no and just wanted to make a scene and left. So they gave me his food on top of my food. And I didn't I didn't like that or the, my order that I got. So I'm sure that Whataburger is good. I just haven't had a good experience there. Um, I just I guess I just have been ordering the wrong thing. Um, so I'm not going to say Whataburger is trash, but I just did not have a good experience there. I think KFC is way worse. KFC has good sides, don't get me wrong, but their chicken is not elite. It's not even it's not even good. The next one is from Palos03 on our Discord. Is the Kofi hat collection real and can we see it? Um, Yes, I have a hat collection. It's real. And the hat collection comes from my mom traveling all these places and then bringing me back snapback hats um, whenever she would travel. So I've had this hat collection for a while. The hat collection is all over the place now. Half of it is in my apartment, and the other half is at my family home because I recently just stopped wearing those kind of hats, and I've been kind of buying dad hats now. So that's my new aesthetic that I've learned over quarantine. The hat collection is definitely real. It just looks a lot different nowadays, so... Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for Chillin' with Kofi, the mailbag episode. I hope that you guys had as fun of a time listening to this as I did making it. If you guys are new here, feel free to leave a rating and review on iTunes. or Sorry, Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify and YouTube and wherever podcasts are found, question mark. Anyway, guys, thank you for asking all these questions. And if I didn't get to your question this time around, I'm sorry. Feel free to ask again. You can always at Chill Kofi on Twitter and Twitch, C-H-I-L-L-K-O-F-I-E. Um and you can always use the hashtag ask Kofi and the next time we get to this mailbag we can answer more questions. Until then, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week and great rest of your day. And I will see you guys next time. Bye.